the gospel lesson comes to us this morning from the good news according to St. Matthew, the 11th chapter. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or Shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And this is the gospel of our Lord. I was hanging out with some pastors from around the area this week, and a number of them had lived in New York for a long time and had left or had moved here for a while and aren't here anymore, and got to talking about for those people who weren't born in New York, uh, how how long do you live here and what way do you live here that you actually become an official New Yorker? Uh, And maybe you've heard this bit before, Uh, my friend Chris Hildebrand used to talk about this, I had a little bit where, you know, maybe it's 10 years, some people say. Uh, Other people say maybe it's whenever you have uh, lived through some great challenge to the city, like Hurricane Sandy or September 11th, and you've shared that. Uh, Chris Hillebrand used to like to say it's when you've lived here long enough that the first time you go out into the woods, you're terrified. That's when you're a real New Yorker. Uh, But I'd like to answer this other person. He said, well, I think that once you learn how to complain about everything, you get your bona fides. That's when you are a New Yorker, when you learn how to complain. Raise your hand if you like to complain once in a while, yeah? And if you're not raising your hand, you're lying, right? Because we like to complain about everything. It's part of you, like, can you believe this? The rent is too dang high, right? We're complaining about this. I'm, I'm funny, I didn't own a car until two years ago. I was kind of anti-car, but I gave in, you know, pandemic, all that. And now I'm in a car and I'm like, these bikers, I hate these guys. These pedestrians, look at them. And then I go out for on my bike, and I'm like, stupid cars, those drivers, all these people walking into the sidewalk too, these pedestrians. And then, of course, when I'm walking, I'm like, cars, bikes, come on, man, I was walking here. Complain about the winter, complain about watching the sun go down behind the buildings on your lunch break, complain about the summer, some of you, it's too hot, got to get out, complain about rats, rents, as I said, all sorts of things. Complaining. And sometimes we complain about deeper things in life. Things like, you know, I'm really not into this school. I thought this school was going to be what I wanted it to be. 
and it's not all that, so you complain about it. Maybe you complain, at least in your own heart or mind, that you thought you'd be married by now, that at 50 years old or whatever, you thought you'd figured out what you want to be when you grow up. Maybe you complain, think thoughts of wishing you had made more of your life earlier. It's even worse, complaining is, or harder, if there's a situation that we're stuck in, feel trapped, trapped in a job, trapped in an unfortunate health condition, or even just your place in history. Like this is really, this is the season I have to live through with all these people. If you feel trapped in it, no way out. It's hard. And maybe worse, the worst of all, is when you're trapped in a situation that has some elements to it of a deep, perhaps intimate relationship you believed in. Think about this. You know, this is why it hurts the most. Spouses, parents, kids, extended family, friendships. These things that you had high hopes in. These people or causes, perhaps, that you committed to, that you've sacrificed so much for, you've suffered in and with, and you feel stuck in these situations, even though they're disappointing you. Sometimes your hope falters, and you just wonder if it's time to bail. And what I want us to hear is that our complaints, whatever came to your mind as you're hearing me list mine, your complaints reveal your disappointments. Disappointed about how hard you have to work just to spend, just to pay rent, just to pay the groceries to live here. You're disappointed, actually. They don't have more time to live a balanced life. Complain about your country. Disappointed in it. Disappointed in those people. Disappointed in her or him. Disappointed that I fill in the blank. Of course you've been disappointed. And what I want you to hear this morning, I want you to hear more than this, but it's one of the main things I want you to hear. Disappointment is the main symptom of unmet expectations. Hear that? That's what disappointment is. When you're complaining, and when you go underneath the surface of your complaints down to your deep disappointments, and when you go deeper than that down to the deep, deep hard ones, That's a result of unmet expectations. Our unmet expectations that lead to disappointment is the disease that rots out our inner life, our life in general, and often our relationships. And if you're a thinking and thoughtful human being of faith or no faith, but you think sometimes, you get beneath the surface, you ask the deeper questions, you will find that often our disappointments at least include God. That we're disappointed with him. Listen to yourself when you complain about something. It will help you diagnose what your disappointments are. And when you think about those disappointments, ask yourself, what expectations are you placing on God that are going unmet? What expectations do you have for God to do in your life or world? And how are they going unmet? Are those expectations fair? 
Is there a specific promise he's made to you? Has the time for his performance on your exam run out? And has his his time actually run out or just your patience? What are your disappointments with God? I want you to hear from the text as we dig into it just a few things this morning. And the first of which is this. Just, I hope to slightly be encouraged. Don't turn away from your disappointments. Go beneath your complaints and your frustrations throughout the day. Go beneath them and ask What am I actually disappointed about? Not just complaining now. And beneath that disappointment, what expectations do I have for my life and for God and for others? And how are they not meeting those expectations? And what about those expectations? How should I think about my expectations? And I want you to hear this first. The disappointment is a part of the journey of faith. It's a huge part of what it means to be human. Because we are people with a huge, varied set of expectations. And as one theologian, Hans Urs von Balthasar says, man is the creature with a mystery in his heart that is bigger than himself. Oh, we are made for so much more. And so we are disappointed often. But disappointment is a part of the journey of faith. In our text it says... When the cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist, heard in prison, John is in prison. It's not the way he expected it to go. He had been leading the most cutting edge, revolutionary, important and powerful spiritual movement of his day and age. And now he's thrown in prison. And he's watching his cousin. He said, well, he remembers he baptized him. He remembers the dove coming down on Jesus. Remembers the voice from heaven. Remembers all of his expectations. But now he's in prison. And he's getting reports from his followers, his disciples, about what Jesus is out there doing. And it seems what Jesus is not doing. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask them, are you the one? Are you the one? Or should we go ahead and look for someone else? John seems disappointed, doesn't he? Confused. One commentator writes that we're a far cry from last week's text that we read together. John then was all fire and brimstone. He's calling out the people of God, baptizing and supporting people's change of mind and life to follow God. Now, months later in this timeline, John is in a prison cave cell at Herod Antipas's Macarius Fortress. It's a place which is itself out in the wilderness land east of the Jordan River. So he's in the wilderness in a prison cave being held by King Herod. And he's considering, it seems, in this time, whether to keep his cause, his hope, his entire life work, his whole community of students, everything, whether or not to keep committed to Jesus. Are you the one? Or should we look somewhere else? What were his expectations for Jesus? We can actually tell you, because we read it last week. 
He's preaching to the people before he's in prison. He's doing his ministry. It says during the high, this is Luke chapter three, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, this is chapter 40, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall become straight. The rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is what John expects Jesus to do. He's familiarized himself with the prophets, but especially Isaiah. And he's preaching it to people. Just as Isaiah did. To turn back to the Lord and to be redeemed and renewed. But John's watching what Jesus is doing. He's looking at those prison bars and he's wondering, not sure I see it. Are you the one? So they go to Jesus. They ask him this question. And Jesus in front of his followers speaks back to them. And he sends John a secret message into the prison. He speaks in code to John And he does it, I need you to hear this, to reset John's expectations. John's expectations, as they were, have been unmet so far. And Jesus sends him a secret code to both challenge and encourage him and to reset his expectations. This is in our text. Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. See all of these things. Yeah, there's still a mountain there. There's still a valley there. But look at all of this. And I think part of what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to hook John, not by his complaints, and just his surface disappointments, but to get down deep and hook him in his heart. To go to John's deepest beliefs. Again, not just for cheap rent, but for something deeper. John's deepest beliefs, his deepest hopes and desires, his deepest commitments. He goes there because he knows that John has given his entire life, in fact, his calling from God is to be this unique and special instrument to prepare the kingdom to come and the king to come. He knows John has given his life to this. This is a man living in the desert, probably trained by the Essenes and other people uh, out in the desert. Very stark, stoic kind of existence. He He ate on honey, wild honey and locusts. He didn't have fancy clothes, as Jesus said. He knows this man deeply, deeply, deeply wants the king to come. And he wants the kingdom of universal flourishing and shalom to arrive. And so Jesus speaks to his deepest desires. He says, tell him what you see. To recalibrate his disappointment. To give him hope even as his personal circumstances have worsened. 
Do you know how he did this? He quotes back to him Isaiah. That's the coded message he sends. I know you love the scriptures. I know you love the prophets. I know you love the promises. I know you've built your entire life on it, John, and now you're in prison and you're not seeing it happen. But go tell this verse back to him, Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This other prophecy and promise from Isaiah, Jesus quotes back to him and says, go tell him what you see. See the good news being preached to the poor and those who are hurting their broken hearts, the lame and the blind healed. Jesus quotes his favorite passage, John's mission statement, back to him. In so doing, he dignifies John's deepest hopes and longings and commitments, as he does for us. But first, look what he intentionally leaves out. Did you hear it at the end of Isaiah 61? Can you remember what Jesus didn't quote? Go tell him what you see. Good news being preached, the brokenhearted being healed. But guess which part of Isaiah he did not quote to John? To proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. The list of things that Jesus tells John's disciples to report back to him are all the things Jesus has done in previous chapters. Reminds us of Isaiah. The blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the dead raised, poor hearing good news, all of that fits. But he doesn't mention captives being set free. He doesn't mention John getting out of jail. So he says, go and tell John all these things are happening. He leaves off the end of the quote. He says, let him know that Blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. If freedom from his cell is what John hoped would be part of the Messiah's immediate work, he will have to decide what to do with his disappointment that the answer from God seems to be no. John, Jesus seems to say, this part of the promise might not come true for you at this time or in the way you expected, but look at all that is coming true. And I know you, cousin, that this is your deepest desire, that you care more for the kingdom to come than for your own well-being. So look beyond your own circumstances and disappointments and look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at these beautiful aspects of the kingdom that are here for those with eyes to see and ears to hear. Get to know me. Trust me. Look at other evidence. Move past your unmet expectations of me and how you thought I would go about my redemptive mission. Look at what I am doing and reconsider. Don't take offense. Don't give up. Believe. In so doing, you will be blessed. And for us, 
think Jesus does something similar. If you will do the work to dig past complaints and disappointments down to your deepest desires, you will find God and His Son Jesus and His Spirit there encouraging you that He has placed on your heart a desire for many great and beautiful things because He has made you like Himself. And your desire for those things is good. But that if we let ourselves focus on our complaints and our disappointments, then we will miss where he is already at work. And we will miss out on the encouragement and the faith and the hope and the love and the contentment that we can have if we just see where he is at work, even when our circumstances to us sometimes are loathsome. And so, look at Jesus again closely. Consider There are signs of his love everywhere. This isn't that deep. It's just a tiny little illustration. But a few weeks ago, uh, I was staying on retreat. And for part of that, we stayed in an extremely, extremely wealthy person's uh, vacation home. And I was gawking at all of this stuff. I couldn't imagine how much all of this stuff cost and how nice it was. And that it spent most of its time in this second or third or fourth home. I'm not even sure. I haven't met these people. But what really took me was I was staying in this bed that had this blanket, like a comforter, but it was thick. And I don't know what to tell you, but it looked like a medieval tapestry that someone had hand-woven. It could be hanging up there at the cloisters or something. And I just thought, man, this is so amazing. I don't even care about that kind of stuff. But I was just like, you have to marvel at the craft of this and how much it cost and how much it went into it. And why is it that only fabulously wealthy people can have these things? And as I was sitting there looking at that blanket, I remembered the words of Jesus when he was walking around and he said, hey, stop worrying and complaining and being anxious about your life, what you're going to eat and drink, about what kind of clothes you're going to put on. Real life is so much more than that. Reconsider. The lilies, for example, these flowers, they don't work. They don't worry. Yet I tell you, even Solomon The king, the richest of all time, was never clothed in such beauty as these flowers. If he clothes the grass of the field, which goes away tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you? And I thought, well, flowers are accessible to everyone. It's a gift for all. It's not hiding in some special cabin somewhere. There is abundance all around us. If we let God give us eyes to see. And so what are your disappointments in God? What's your wish list for him? What do you spend your time praying for? Where are you disappointed or thinking of quitting? And that gap between what we're seeing and how we think God doesn't measure up is exactly the place where we need to reconsider and realign because he doesn't promise carefree prosperity he promises his presence and when he's present these things happen healing justice forgiveness restoration reconciliation wholeness community purpose if we will believe that our deepest desires are actually to be in union with the God who made us and to be in new communion with others 
where our enemies even become those we pray for and love, if we believe that he is bringing a kingdom of justice and peace, that it is unfolding even now, then we will recontextualize our interpretation of our experiences when they are challenging. If those are our deepest desires and we return to them, we will be blessed. Because see, our disappointments are meant to lead us to a deeper fulfillment in God so that we don't just satisfy ourselves on the things of this world that will never actually finally satisfy us. One person I read this week wrote this. She said, thinking of Christmas, I know we all look back on this incarnation time with a lot of longing and adoration, but it's good to remember that almost everyone Jesus encountered while he was on earth was disappointed in him as a Messiah. He was too lowly, too radical, not radical enough, too welcoming, except, except it seems for the hungry, the poor, the outcasts. They fought through crowds just to touch the hem of his robe, to eat a scrap from his table, to get a glimpse of his glory. Today, I'm asking myself this question, how hungry am I for God himself? Am I hungry enough to accept him on his own terms? See, Jesus doesn't always change our circumstances. But our circumstances do not change his deep, intimate, and committed love of us. Jesus, after this, and I'll fly through this, but after he gives this message to John and John's disciples leave, he goes about the rest of his followers praising John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. Truly, I say to you, among those born of woman in the history of the whole planet, there has never been anyone greater than John the Baptist. Just praising him to the high heavens. He's proud of his cousin. He loves him. He's telling everyone that John's work matters. His status matters. His life matters. His desires matter. His suffering matters. Everything about John matters. In fact, his circumstances in prison matter to Jesus. He would later be very upset when he hears that John is beheaded. But what he is showing here is that his love for John and their shared love of the kingdom of love matters more than all of these circumstances of John's life. What he thought was his life's work seems over. He doesn't know it yet completely, but he's not going to be set free. He's not going to live long enough to see the fullness of the kingdom. He's going to die a gruesome and humiliating death. But Jesus' love for John is stronger than all of these facts, than all of these unmet expectations. And these two facts can coexist, friends. Of course they can, because we live in a world where if you're a Christian, you believe that a kingdom is here already for those with eyes to see and ears to hear, but that it's not here in fullness. It's still coming. It's still unfolding. It's coming into a world that is still partly sick and broken and alienated and hurting and hating and fighting back and resisting God at times. But never let your unmet expectations distract you from the love of God in Christ. 
John chapter 3, God so loves the world, he gave his own one and only son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have life forever. 1 John, what shall we say in response to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Herod? Sure. But he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And John and his, uh, Jesus, in his very last words to his disciples, before he went to the cross to demonstrate his love for us, he said, just as the Father has loved me, so much have I loved you. So rest in my love. You are my friends. And I will send my spirit, the helper, who will come to you and teach you about everything and help you to see where my kingdom is already coming, to remind you how much I love you. You will have so much sorrow in this life, trust me. But I will see you again, and your hearts then will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And I am saying these things to you, that in me you might have peace. Because in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And then Jesus closes by saying, I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now he starts praising you and me. Oh, John was great. But anyone who comes into my kingdom after I die and rise again and send my spirit, even the least of these is greater than John, whom I love so much. And I love to spend my time praising. Do you ever feel like the least of these? Certainly if you were in prison, you would. Maybe it's a Wednesday afternoon. You're just sick of yourself and sick of it all. Lost, stuck in a scary situation. Like God cares about maybe everything else but you. Do you know that the same Jesus who went around bragging about John, even in John's disappointment, is somewhere right now bragging about you? You think I'm making that up? He spends his time praising you to the Father and to the angels, so much so that they all have a party every time one sinner returns to him, praising you up and down to the saints, and even in this room to others by the power of his Spirit, helping others recognize your gifts and your value, telling everyone that your life matters, your work matters, everything you do matters, your disappointments matter. Your power, your presence, your ability. You are part of the greatest hits. We have abundance everywhere and you are a part of that. Imagine yourself as John. Or better, imagine whatever your prison cell is this week. Remember those disappointments. Especially the ones that make you feel like God is distant and doesn't care. Go beneath them to your deepest desires and bring them to Jesus just as John did. Bring to mind those disappointments. Consider what your unmet expectations are and now hold your specific trials, your struggles, your hurts, your questions, and hear Jesus speaking to you now. The kingdom is here and it is coming and he loves you. And he is praising you to the high heavens. And blessed are you if you take no offense and continue to believe.
come what may in your life this week and beyond. I pray that these truths in the presence of Jesus himself would become your deepest expectations of God. Expect him to be faithful to you and to the kingdom. Expect him to love you. Expect him to right now to be saying, you might be the least of these in your own eyes or the eyes of the world, but you are the greatest of all in my kingdom. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.